was the second Sunday that would be useful to pick up uh, a Christmas theme. So I would plan to do that. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, please turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Is that okay? Thanks very much. Luke chapter 1 and verse, we're going to read from verse 5. It's not coming through, but nope, not to worry. Oh, yes. Fantastic. There we go. So we're going to read from verse 5 down to the end of verse 25 of Luke chapter 1. And this is to do with the birth of John the Baptist. In the time of King Herod, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well on in years. Once, when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, 
he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And we pray that God will add his own blessing to his precious word. Well, I guess I've been coming here long enough for you to know that I like to try to go through a passage and pull out of it some of the truths there. I'm hoping to do that this morning. And then at the end, I, I want to try to bring three practical lessons, which I hope will be an encouragement to us. This passage in Luke, the chapter, chapter one, finishes beautifully, and it describes the birth of Jesus in a lovely way. The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Is that beautiful? Coming to guide our feet into the path of peace and bringing light because we've been living in darkness. Well, the night before that sunrise had been long and dark, and it had actually lasted for about 400 years. 400 years had passed since God had last spoken through the prophet Malachi. And I don't think that the people were expecting anything to happen, and yet something extraordinary was just about to happen. It says in the I, I think it's my batteries. Sorry, Nicola, could you, if I wag my finger at you, could you advance the slides? Is that okay? I should be on, on side four. I'll tell you what, let me just change the batteries. Let's take five minutes. <laughs> You have to trust God more than you maybe normally trust him. So uh, maybe God has something special to say to us this morning because of the interruption. You never know. Well, we, we start off. The first, it, the reading opens in the time of Herod, king of Judea. And while that might not mean a great deal to us, the readers would have understood the gravity of that, of that verse. After all, Herod the Great had brought very dark times to Israel. And if you and I were to read an article today that started off with the words, um, something like this, in the days of Adolf Hitler, we, we would expect a, a quite a dramatic and a horrifying story, a grim story. Herod had pretend, pretended to be a good Jew, and he didn't eat pork, but he had 
a huge insatiable appetite for murder. He didn't eat pork, but he was into murder in a big way. He built a magnificent temple for God, the God of Israel. It was an architectural wonder of its day. And he appointed one corrupt high priest after another. And he collected offerings according to the Old Testament, but he used those offerings to build temples for Roman gods and cities, breaking the first commandment. Uh, and in the days of Herod, king of Judea, if, if you were part of his group, you were well off and prosperous. But for everybody else, it was a horrific time. And so we're introduced to Zechariah. I think it must be my clicker that's gone. I know. Thank you very much. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees, blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Well, we learn a number of things from that passage. What do we learn? Well, it starts off and it talks about uh, Zechariah belonging to the priestly division of Abijah. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, perhaps it would be useful to know that there were about 8,000 priests living in Palestine, and they were divided into 24 different groups or divisions. And each group or division served in the temple for two one-week periods a year. Two one-week periods a year. And on any given day, there were 56 priests on duty in the temple. And then we learn that he was married. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So he married into the priestly line of Aaron, a choice that was, con was considered to be very honorable. And then we learn that both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So their priestly pedigree was matched by their devout worship and obedience. So they not only talked the talk, they walked the walk. They lived what they believed, which is really significant. The text goes on to say, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Well, in those days, to be childless, that was deemed to be an indication of God's displeasure. To be barren was a source of shame. So Elizabeth lived with that. And then the text says, and they were both very old. Well, we don't know how old very old was, but it's likely that it Elizabeth was too old to have a child. Nature's planned obsolescence had taken its course. They didn't know that God was about to do something special. They didn't know that the dawn was coming. The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Well, when Zechariah was on duty, we read that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of the when the time for the burning of the incense came, all assembled worshippers were praying 
outside. Well, this was a wonderful honor. Many priests never had the privilege of burning the incense, and no priest was allowed to do it more than once. Now, you, you're familiar, I'm sure, with the layout of, of the temple. Uh, you, you will know that uh, that was the, the most holy place, or the holy of holies, and this was the holy place, and this was the, the, the altar of incense, and that was the menorah, or the lampstand. And I was in the courtyard, that was the altar of burnt offerings. And what would have happened is a couple of priests would have taken hot coals from the, the altar here, and they would put it into uh, Zachariah's censer, and he would very carefully have made his way in, into uh, the holy place, and, and he would have sorted out the, the lamp here, the menorah, and then he would have gone and put the hot coals on the altar, the table altar of incense there, and he would have spread the incense on the hot coals. And what was supposed to happen then was that he would bow down and then quickly leave by walking out backwards. That, that's what would normally have happened. But while he was there, uh, he, he got a terrible fright because an angel appeared. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Well, we don't know what form the angel took, whether he was eight feet tall and, and, and bright and shining or whether he was small. We don't know. But what we do know is that Zachariah was absolutely terrified. That's why the angel said to him, do not be afraid. He said that because he was very afraid of the angel. The angel said, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. Now that's quite interesting that he said that your prayer has been heard because some folks feel that when the angel talked about the prayer, they were referring perhaps to a prayer that Zechariah had prayed over the years that God would grant him a family. But actually, the tense used there would indicate that he was most likely praying for the redemption of Israel rather than praying for his son. Because if you think about it, when the angel spoke to him about his son, he didn't believe him. So the likelihood is that he was praying for the redemption of Israel, and he just had no idea that God would use the son that he was going to give to Zechariah as a significant part in the preparation for the coming of, of the Savior. What a promise. You are to call him John. Your prayer has been heard. You are to call him John. And John means that God has been gracious. God has been gracious. And the angel then goes on to describe the child and tell Zachariah what the child will be like. You will, he will be a joy and delight to you. Well, any son would be a joy and delight. But the angel said that John would be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Zechariah and Elizabeth would delight in him and many would rejoice because of his inner greatness of soul. And what incredible joy they knew 
And we remember that when Jesus was speaking about John the Baptist, he said, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He was to be raised as a, as a Nazarite. And a Nazarite was somebody who was totally devoted to God. He, he was never to take strong drink. He was never to have a haircut, which was a bit odd, maybe, but that was, that was what, what happened. And he was never allowed to touch a dead a body. His whole life would be a powerful testimony, which would have a huge impact on the people of Israel. Look at verses 16 and 17. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. What a powerful ministry that was. He would bring people back to God. Wouldn't we just love a ministry like that today? Wow. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And yet, Zechariah's response was one of unbelief. Sadly, Zechariah said, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. How can I be sure of this? Now, Zechariah should not have doubted what the angel said. And I want to give you several reasons why I think he shouldn't have doubted. Well, first of all, he was well acquainted with the scriptures. He knew the stories about how divine intervention in the births of Isaac and Samson and, and Samuel, he, he would have known those stories. And he, he should have concluded if God had done it in the past, God could do it today. But he didn't. He didn't believe. And then secondly, he was a priest. He wasn't an atheist. He was a priest. He was a man of God. He was noted for his piety. He was even described as being a man of faith, an upright man. He should have believed, but he didn't. And then thirdly, he was offering prayer in the temple on the most important day of his life. And moreover, the offering of incense symbolized the, the petition that rose to God on behalf of the people. And as part of the community of faith, he should have had a bigger view of God. I wonder how big your God is. Is he small or is he big? Because for Zechariah in that moment, God wasn't very big. He didn't think that that was possible. And then fourthly, he was confronted by a being he knew to be supernatural. That's why he was absolutely terrified. He knew the message was from God, and yet he didn't believe. And this was really serious, because in his doubt, he implicitly denied the power that is so central to the gospel. The power of God to give life to the dead. But he didn't believe. He didn't believe. And if God couldn't give Zachari Zachariah's wife Elizabeth the power to conceive, how could he possibly raise Jesus' body from the tomb? So Zachariah's unbelief was unknowingly subversive to the entire gospel. The coming of the rising sun from heaven would do nobody any good apart from faith. And isn't that still true today? The gospel message doesn't do us any good if we don't have faith. Well, his disbelief made him 
rendered him mute, unable to share the wonderful news he received from God. His failure to believe and his lack of trust stole his voice. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news and now you will be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. His nine months of silence perhaps reflected the 400 years of silence which preceded the fulfillment of God's promises. I imagine all of those outside must have wondered what was going on. Why wasn't he coming out? What had happened? What was keeping him in, uh, in the holy place? Normally, the priests would have come out quite quickly and pronounced a blessing on the people. But when Zechariah emerged, he couldn't speak. He was absolutely mute. He could only make signs, and the people were greatly disturbed and puzzled. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his week of service finished, he made his way home to his wife, Elizabeth. And can you imagine how he tried to explain to her what had happened without words? Do you think she was puzzled? I guess she must have been, though she knew something had happened. And then lo and behold, this elderly lady discovered that she was pregnant. And for five months, she shut herself away. And while Zachariah doubted, Elizabeth believed. For she said in verse 25, the Lord has done this for me. These days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Well, that's the story which is a rather wonderful story. But that was a long time ago. Well, what does that mean for us today? Are there lessons that we can learn from that that will help us as we seek to live our lives? Well, I just want to mention three. And, and the first is very simple. It's this, that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. Do you have a son or a daughter who doesn't believe? I do. Do you have health challenges? Do you have financial problems? Whatever impossible circumstances you face, you need to understand they're not too hard <coughs> for God. He who provides help for us in eternity will help us here. Let me tell you a story about a situation that maybe will illustrate this in a small way. When I came to Glasgow 27, 28 years ago and started in the Finley Church, it was mainly old people and not very many at that. And at one stage in that first year, we began to say, Lord, have you brought us here to close the church? Which is a terrible thought. We went off on holiday and were over in Northern Ireland and went to a church that seated about 4,000, it was a big church. And uh, we went to a Sunday evening service, there were about two and a half thousand people there. And the preacher preached. They had a, two robed choirs in the church and it was dripping with gold and chandeliers and it was kind of American, I hope 
I'm not offending anybody when I say that, but it was kind of like that. And at the end of the, the, the message, and it was just an ordinary message, it was nothing to write home about homiletically. At the end of the message, the, 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 the pastor decided that he was going to do what he was famous for. He would have a big appeal, and he had a big appeal. And uh, I kept one eye open just for the sake of personal education. And uh, he would go, he went, the appeal went on about 20 minutes. There's got to be somebody else. There's got to be, oh, thank you. God bless you. There's got to be something. We can't stop people criticizing me for this. But there's got to be somebody else. Oh, thank you. Uh, and at the end of it, he said there were 29 folks who'd indicated that they wanted to come to Jesus. And I heard the following day that a total of 39 people had gone to the counseling room afterwards to meet with Jesus. And I thought, well, that's amazing. I didn't understand it all, but I thought that was amazing. And I came back to Belfast, from Belfast, first Sunday back in, in Finlay. And I said, Lord, if anything is going to happen, you've got to do it because I can't do it. And that first Sunday, somebody came to me and said, Pastor, there's a woman to see you. And I went and there was a lady who was stick thin. She had 3.5 children. She was heavily pregnant. And um, I got to, to chat with her in the morning. Um, she and her husband had been slung out of social housing for drug dealing. And uh, they lived around the corner from the church. And she said to me, is this a born again church? Because me and my man, we want to link with a born again church. I said, well, yes, we, we do believe the Bible. And we teach people what the Bible says about being born again. And um, she came back in the evening. She didn't bring her man with her. And I had a lady from our pastoral team who spoke to her. I spoke to her as well. And we agreed, we agreed to go around and meet her the following week. So the following week, we went around to the top floor of a tenement just behind the church and stood at the door, locked the door. And the door opened. There was this guy in a T-shirt and his arms were covered with scars from, and his face from knife cuts, knife wounds. And he brought me and he said, sit. And I sat on the sofa. And in the sofa, it had a cushion, but there was nothing under the cushion. So I, I kind of sank down, my knees hit my chin, and I thought, it's a man-eating sofa. How am I going to get out of this? And he looked at me, and I looked at him, trying desperately to get out of this sofa. And he said, I prayed the prayer at the end of the book. What do I do now? And uh, his wife was in the kitchen, killing herself, laughing at me, wrestling with their sofa. And... Uh, he had come to faith in Jesus. About three months later, his, his wife came to faith at, in Jesus at a concert we had in the church. And then a little while later, they came to me one day and they said, Pastor, you know that we're not married. And I said, uh-huh. And they said, well, we, we want to get married because we think that's what we ought to do. And I said, that's good. And they said, but it's going to take us about a year to save all that we need to get married. And I said to them, really? I said, listen, if it's right to get married now, to get married, maybe you should just get married now. And he said, well, we, 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 I said, listen, you're trusting God for the whole of eternity. Yeah. And I said, well, if he can't look after you in the here and now, don't you think you're going to be in trouble in eternity? And he said, yeah. So we agreed on a date for them to get married. Now, the church couldn't, or the church couldn't fund the wedding because if that got out, everybody in Mary Hill would have been along for a free wedding. But individuals in the church stepped up. My wife made a wedding cake and somebody else bought uh, dresses and somebody else did the photographs and 
somebody else paid for a hairdresser. The whole thing was done, they put a beautiful meal on. Well, their family came to the church for the wedding. There, there are two families. And uh, you've heard the expression, a, a pork pie in a synagogue. Well, it was a little bit like that. They were sitting in the church, looking around, because this was hostile country for them. And uh, as this couple stood in front of me, I did something that I had told them, I hadn't told them I was going to do. I stepped in between them, turned them around, put an arm around each of them. And I looked at him and I said, why are you getting married to her? You've been with her for 10 years. You've got four kids. Why do you want to get married? And he looked at me and he looked at the congregation. He looked back at me and he said, God used to be a million miles away. But he's real. And we just want to live our lives in line with his word. And I said, that's great. Let's get on and marry you. And we did it. You see, what they had learned, what they had thought was impossible, they discovered that with God, nothing is impossible. And if we're trusting God for the whole of eternity, then surely we can trust him in the here and now. So I don't know what impossible situation you're facing. But I know that God is able. God is able. He doesn't do things the way I think he should. He's got his own way of doing things. But God is able. And we have to come to him and believe him. And I'm so encouraged by that little prayer in scripture that says, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Lord, I struggle to believe. Will you help me? My experience is that that's exactly what he does. And then the second lesson we learned for today is this, that delays are not always denials. Delays are not always denials. I have an agenda and a time frame, but it never seems to coincide with my father's. But he knows what he's about. And sometimes when we pray, God allows us to wait. His timing seems almost always to be different to ours. But please don't allow, don't allow your unmet expectations become a, a cause for doubt. Let them become a means of growth. Focus on God's word because God's word reveals God to us. And when God is revealed to us and we know something of his character, it fills us with hope. Deuteronomy 32, he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. My God is too kind, too gracious ever to be unkind, and too wise ever to make any mistakes. That doesn't mean that I don't struggle and have difficulties. I sometimes think of that occasion when Jesus said to the disciples, get into the boat and go off. And remember, they rode into the, into the storm. Uh, the text doesn't tell us, but I wonder when Jesus was getting them into the boat, did he give the boat a shove off the shore? He brought them into the storm because that's where they learned lessons they couldn't learn anywhere else. And sometimes that's what God does to us too. But delays are not always denials. God knows what he's about. And then the third and perhaps most important lesson that we can learn is simply this, to believe, to believe in God, to believe in his promises. Zechariah doubted despite being 
a, a, a man who had a reputation for being a man of God. He doubted. Do we doubt? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we doubt. But what does the word say to us? Well, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That's an extraordinary thing. Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. A number of years ago, when I was a very young Christian, a couple of guys I knew went over from Dublin to Liverpool, I think, to Holyhead. They were on a ferry. And one of these guys was small, and the other guy was very tall and very large. And uh, I can remember them telling me that, that they got on the boat and um, they went down, they had a cabin because it was overnight sailing, and they went down uh, to the cabin and they got themselves settled in and then they went up and had a, had a meal. They thought, well, before the boat sails, we'll have a, a meal to fortify us and everything else. So they had a big meal and after the meal, which they enjoyed, the, the big tall guy said, look, I'm heading down. I'm going to get to go to bed. So he went off down to bed and the small guy said, well, I, I, I'm going to just walk around the deck a couple of times to get some air and exercise before I go to bed. And he did that. And then he got down to the cabin. He got down to the cabin. He found that his large, heavy friend was in the top bunk and he was snoring like a trooper. And, and, and the, the boat began to move because it was a bit rough. And as the boat moved, the old bunk began to creak. And, and my short friend thought, if I get into that bottom bunk and it happens to collapse, I'm going to be pancake. I, that's, I'm going to be absolutely flattened. And then he thought, that's ridiculous. The boat's gone across so many times. I just have to believe. But he, he, he said to me, I remember him saying, but you know, I could have believed that it wasn't going to collapse and still slept on the floor. You get it? It's possible for us to believe intellectually, but we have to act on our belief. And that's what Jesus is saying. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. The only judgment the Christian faces is a judgment of commendation, not a judgment of condemnation. And it's rather amazing. Scriptures tell us that even if we give somebody a cup of cold water in his name, he's going to reward us for it. Isn't that amazing? He knows. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15 says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that's what we're going to be celebrating this Christmas, aren't we? The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without the birth, there would have been no crucifixion. So we celebrate the birth. And I'm just minded of the shepherds who were out in the fields, very dark, probably very cold. And in the middle of the night, the angels appeared, didn't they? And the angels spoke to them and told them about Jesus. And then the angels burst into this great big chorus and then they disappeared. And do you remember what the shepherds said to one another? They said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
Let's go. And I think that this Christmas provides each of us with an opportunity of going back in time, as it were, to Bethlehem to worship the Christ. And I pray that this Christmas, maybe we won't have all the usual distractions because of a coming pending lockdown or something like that. I just pray that we'll be able to make our own way. Do you know what it says about the shepherds after they, do you know what they did after they had worshiped the Christ? It says, when they had seen the Lord, they spread the word. In other words, they couldn't stop talking about it. And other people heard that Christ had been born. And that maybe would be a lovely thing if the folks around about us, our neighbors, heard that we too had been to worship the Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we're very grateful that we've been able to spend a little time in your word. We thank you for this marvelous account of Zechariah. And it challenges us, Lord, because as Zechariah doubted, we have to acknowledge that there are days when we doubt too. And perhaps this morning there's somebody struggling with doubt of, of some kind, some circumstances that is heartbreaking. Oh God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us and help us each one so that we might at least be helped to pray, to ask you to help our faith, to strengthen it, that we too might believe and in believing that we might discover afresh just how real and close the Lord is. Please pour out a blessing on New Beginnings Church family. We pray that you would bring great encouragement over this Christmas time. In the words of the psalmist, O Lord, show them a sign of your goodness. Bless them. Make them a blessing to others. And may they bring joy to your heart. We ask it, Father, as we say thank you. In the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.